Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. I'm Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Reagan Kramer. This is a testimony podcast, kind of one of the, the new things that we're starting. Um, Reagan, I don't think anybody knows who you are who listens to this. Maybe a couple people. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are, how I know you? I would love to, Andy. Thanks for having me on your podcast, and I'm super excited about what you're doing because you're my nephew. Yeah. Um, and it's really fun to see what God's doing in your life. So, yeah, uh, I am your uh, auntie and your brother's sister, the oldest sister in our my, family. My dad's, my dad's sister. Your dad's sister. What did I say? Yeah. Your brother's sister? Yeah. <laughs> your brother doesn't have That's, a sister. No. <laughs> that would mean that you were my sister. <laughs> Okay. Okay. We're going to edit that out. Let's start over. We might. Start over. Okay. Then just introduce yourself. I'll. I'll, Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. You're my aunt. Yeah. Andy, I'm your aunt and I love being Mm -hmm. your aunt and it's fun to see what God's doing in your life. Um, So I'm your dad's sister and actually kind of middle sister because he's also got Mm -hmm. another sister, Phyllis, who is the oldest. So we all share uh, the same father, your dad and me, and then um, we also have a half sister. So our father was married before he was married to our mother. So if you're not confused yet, we'll yeah. keep going. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so it's fun that you're having me on to do this testimony, and I am a, I am a mother and a wife, and I uh, married an older man who's pretty incredible. His name is George. And that's actually part of my testimony where you never think you're going to marry an older man with three teenage kids, but that was God's plan. And uh, we also have one son together and his name is Henry. And Henry is eight years old. Um, And then my three stepsons are in their thirties already, Nick, Brian, and Michael. And I have two lovely daughters in love who I do love very much, Anna and um, Brenda. And then I have two granddaughters, Theta and Andine. So we have kind of a wild family that is super fun. And uh, God has blessed our family very much, um, but it wasn't what I thought our family was going to look like. So I also do uh, ministry. I work in the prisons um uh, when they were open, they're not open right now, um, but go into the prisons and uh, help share Jesus with the women in a, a prison in Minnesota, as well as I've taught children the Bible through Bible study fellowship for 15 years. And I just retired from that. That was a huge blessing in my life as well. Uh, but I my first and foremost is being a mom and being a a wife to George and he runs a a medical practice. So I help him in his office and that's his ministry. And uh, he loves to, loves to uh, share Jesus with people too. And we just feel really blessed that God's put us in this place to be able to share who he is. And um, I also do radio too. I'm on a board for him. It's called him for her and him for her ministries. And we work with inmates in this state and around the country, we do mentorship. We have some housing. We have a radio show that is also a podcast, Him for Her Radio. 
you can see that. Look that up on any of your podcast platforms. And it's it's a women's show, but men listen to that too. But we just like to share the gospel and we like to get uh, some of the current topics out there that women are thinking about from a Christian perspective. So it's a really fun show. So I'm doing that a little bit too. And just going where God calls, which has been a wild ride, especially this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you live? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. So I'm in Minneapolis right now while recording it. Reagan flew me in on a private jet. (laughs) And so we could do this. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what's, here's the deal. Here's how it's going to work. You're just, I'm going to be like, this is your testimony. You get to tell as much of it as you want. And uh, I'm going to interrupt every once in a while, ask a question. But, I'm used to that, so that's good. Yeah, so it's it's <laughs> just like everyday stuff everyday with talking. me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is good for people to hear because my testimony will be out before this one comes out, and then it'll this will probably will will come out after my mom's and my dad's testimony comes out. Mm-hmm. So people are gonna start to realize why I am the way that I am, <laughs> and, and why I'm so. Why I can't I'm so, wait to hear all those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys. So this is my aunt. So. Reagan, you can you can start and just tell us your testimony. And then it's so what it is, it'll be your testimony up until when you became a believer and then from when you became a believer till now how God has worked in your life. Cuz I think people don't get to hear that stuff as much and encouragement is good in the church. So Amen. if you yeah. want to start, then go ahead. Okay, sure. And there's we all have amazing complicated stories. So I'm going to Ask the Holy Spirit to just help me tell this here. But um, so we were raised in a small town in Wisconsin, and it was just my uh, brother and I in that household, and my mom and dad. And when we were, well, when my brother was born, Andy's father, we would, uh, we were not going to church. My parents were not following any sort of religion, but my mom grew up Catholic and she did have a desire in her heart for us to get baptized. So she had called a Catholic priest and asked him to come over and baptize us. And so I was two, my brother was an infant the night before this priest apparently passed, died. And so couldn't come over, did not baptize us. And, I, I look at that as just an interesting start to kind of our path into following Jesus, because I think that played a role in maybe God wanting us uh, to seek like really who he is and not been um, sort of just named into one religion. So that was the beginning of that, that we never got baptized. And we I remember growing up and like one day my dad was sitting on the steps smoking a cigarette. And I was, it was a beautiful summer day and I was just looking up at the clouds and I was like, dad, where is God? Because I remember from a young age, really believing in a God and feeling his presence, but not having adults tell me who he was, but something in my spirit knew there was God. And my dad. Real quick. You think, yeah, sorry, I'm already interrupting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was so, like totally in my zone. And okay. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I, that's <laughs> yeah. weird though, because so you, 
you just like nobody ever told you about God, but you just like knew inside yourself that there was a God or, or maybe, something up there. Yeah, I mean, I would, probably was five or six. So I mean, I I would guess you know I heard something about God on TV or Christmas, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure someone told me something. Yeah. But in my in my spirit and my soul, it was more personal to me than I would have thought at that age, not being brought up in a church or with someone reading me the Bible. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so my dad just kind of looked up at this guy and he's like, honey, I, I don't know. I think he's up there, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, I don't think he's going to teach me much. <laughs> Anyways, I remember that specifically. And growing up was challenging um, as a young child. So, okay, so my brother was two years younger than I was. My mom was working nights, working a lot. And uh, she worked later in the day because, you know, she made more money doing that. And my dad was, uh, he worked full time too at that time, but he also liked to golf a lot, you know, and he'd be out at the club late at night and um, at the golf course, the golf club. And there were just a lot of nights where I felt alone and I would be taking care of my brother at a pretty young age. And my mom would go to work at like four o'clock. And so, you know, I made a lot of peanut butter and jelly and eventually learned how to eat mac and or make mac and cheese. And just, you know, I kind of felt, you know, like I had to mother him a little bit because my mom had to be gone. So we, and we had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and we'd hang out and ride our bikes and, you know, we had a great time, but there were a lot of times at night, I remember feeling really scared and alone because nobody was home. And like, you know, when you're in a deep sleep and then the phone rings, you know, mm-hmm. and some, and you're the only one home and like, you know, that's the wrong number and someone's yelling at you on the phone. And just, there was just kind of like some scary things where it was like, okay, where are my parents? And I don't, I have never had that happen to me. So that's an interesting thing. Like, you said, you know, like this happens, but I've never had that happen to me. Well, it so. does happen. To, I mean, yeah. Grow, now I know because I've yeah. done a lot of ministry and you're like, a lot of kids are alone, which is sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was part of my story. And I think God used that in a way to help me be uh, more compassionate towards people going through stuff like that. But anyways, I, there was some fear in there. And now, you know, and we'll get to this later, but I'm really into, um, I feel like God is using some of my story now to fight some of the spiritual warfare going on, because even as a young, at a young age, he had shown me things in the spiritual realm that I didn't know what they were at the time. And now I just think it was the enemy trying to scare me. So I wouldn't be following the Lord Jesus Christ. So there were some other things that happened, uh, that I, looking back, I'm like, well, what was that? And now I understand what it was and I don't have fear around it, but the enemy is always going to try to scare children that especially are, you know, God's got their hand on. So I continued to just do my thing, go to school and take care of my brother. Um, And I realized that I was pretty good. I wasn't that good in school but I was pretty good in athletics. So I started, you know, just signing up for stuff and going to track. And my mom was really great at getting me into dance class and uh, 
just furthering, you know, my skills and a lot of that. And that's kind of where me and my mom spent more time together. We spent more time in the car driving to dance class and just like talking when she could do that. And I think that was a blessing because I got to spend more time with her than because I needed a parent, you know, to like vent to and talk to. And since my dad was gone a lot, um, that was kind of like the parent bond that I felt. And my dad also traveled as well. So he wasn't home a lot, even that, you know, during the week. So I look back thinking that was a really good time where I had that, you know, female mom parent that we could spend that time together. And as I continue to grow up, I felt like people, the way that I was seen was through sports and through dance. And so if people looked at me and, you know, I had a track meet one day and my parents never really came to my track meets. Yeah, this is funny. I think this is. I think it was like eighth grade and I was like winning all these races. And I honestly don't really know what, I didn't know what I was doing. They would just like put me in a race and I would just start running or a relay. And one of the neighbors called my mom and said, you know, Kathy, you should really come to a track meet because Reagan's winning all the races. And she's like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she started, so she came and she was like blown away. She's like, wow. So then I felt like, okay, if I can be really good at this sports thing or running or whatever it is, then I felt valued and loved. Like I felt like, oh, you know, Reagan can do this. And so look at her, you know, and all those your, things. Your relationships were like performance-based totally. relationships. If you if you performed, you'd be loved. If you, were, if you didn't perform, you just need to perform better. Well, that's the lie that I started to believe. Yeah. That if I didn't right. perform well, I wouldn't be loved as much. Yeah. Um, and actually, the Lord brought that up to me last year too, which maybe, maybe we can talk about in a little bit. Because that was a key uh, component in my life in a a lie that I believed from the enemy from such a young age, it was hard to overcome. So I would continue to do that. I got a scholarship for college. I ran track. I, I so I would get my value uh, from doing that, and then just you know dating a lot of boys, uh, trying to. Get my, I think my dad, because I he was gone a lot, I was trying to get this love from dating and, you know, boys in my life and men as I grew up uh, to fill that void of that love like so many of us do. And I would just continue in that way for a long, long time. And I went to college feeling like, and then at the same time, though, I'd have common sense, right? So I'd sit there and like, tell my college roommates, you know, why did you go do that last night? You know, cause then they'd be all like, well, we're going to go, go to confession, you know, cause last night we drank too much or whatever. And I would say, well, just like, don't drink too much. Like you don't have to go to confession. Just like, yeah. don't keep sinning. So I like, I didn't know what sin was, mm-hmm. but since I didn't have my own faith, I could just tell other people what not to do. Right. But I had yeah. no guilt. Like I, I just didn't have guilt for whatever reason, because I thought I was really, really cool and that I was really good at what I did. And so I was a good person, you know, I totally went down that road for sure. And I was just like having a great time and everyone else was wrong. Just so everybody knows, she did air quotes around a good person. 
I mean, that's like, because there's a lot of people out there who think that they're good people. Totally. And the gospel, that doesn't make any sense in the gospel. So you did air quotes just so they know. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely air quotes. Um, And I did believe that I was a good person. And then I also was really empty inside and I knew that I wanted more, I think by my junior or senior year in college, my junior year, I had a really good year in track and went to nationals and just, you know, felt accomplished. And I think the farther I got in that, the more I realized it's empty. Not that it wasn't fun and amazing, but it is at the end of the day, it was empty. So my senior year, um, I was uh, dating a guy and he, he was, I started dating a guy my senior year who was uh, an amazing athlete as well. And I I just kind of was watching him and I was watching me and I was like, you know, what are we, what is our lives? What do our lives even stand for? You know, like when we're done with all this. And when I was finished with college, I went, I went to grad school and I became an exercise physiologist and like all these things. But that's when I started asking myself, what does this even mean? And at that time, my brother. Well, real quick, in college, mm-hmm. weren't you? You were a big partier too, right? Big time, yes. Yeah. Yes. Just, just so for context for people, like you were partying and drinking and doing that stuff too. So totally. That- yeah. I was the one that yelling at my friends, right? But I was yeah. doing the same thing. But I didn't feel guilty. Right. That's why I made yes. I, when you were saying that, I was like, you were telling them to stop yes. doing this, but I know you were doing it. That and they were probably just like, shut up, Reagan. Like, oh, I was doing too. the same thing, and I was like, what's wrong with you? Just don't do it. If you feel yeah. guilty, I don't feel guilty. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't have that solid base that they had grown up with. Like they knew what sin was. So, mm-hmm. um, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So I continued to do what I was doing and partying and being crazy. And at that time, Ty, my brother, he was in and out. And and keep in mind, this whole time, Ty is, from high school on, really scaring me. Like, really scaring me, really drinking, like, really doing some hard, crazy stuff. And there were times, I don't think I realized how bad it was in high school. There was one time that got pretty brutal. But once I went to college, I would get phone calls from my parents. And I started to get scared that I would get a call that he had, that he was no longer here. Yeah, because all died. of, yeah. that he would, yeah, because all of his friends, like one friend was in prison. One had committed suicide, took his own life. Um I mean, right, it was, two of them are dead right now from drug overdose. Two were drug overdose. So I think it was like yeah. four out of the five were gone in prison. Right. And it was a hard time. And I kept, I would pray and I would ask God like to, to protect. I knew there, I mean, like, again, since a young age, I knew there was God, but I would ask him to protect my brother. But I think that. You told the story of having to pick him up like bloody and like, yeah, that was in you know, like you get into fights and stuff. Oh, that was in college. Okay. Well, so like I'd come home from the summer and I'd get like mm-hmm. a phone call, you know, like you got to pick me up. It's five in the morning. Cause he would, he'd had a rough night and he was full of blood and 
Yeah. There was quite a few stories where I was like, okay, you've got to quit doing what you're doing. Like I'm afraid for you, but he was just super rebellious and his, you know, his story will be on your podcast. But that was that I think God used that to make me desperate for my brother. And just to know that life is, you know, we're all mortal. And when at the end of the day, if we don't know where we're going, that's like kind of the first time I started really thinking about that was when Ty was going through all of these really hard things. And, um, and I was trying to deal with my own stuff. Right. And, and so I was young and immature and just trying to figure out my life, but I would pray for him. And um, then my senior year, he st- you know, when email started, I mean, that's kind of how old I am. Like he started to like email me. <laughs> you and cut, you, you, you cut, you cut out a little tiny bit right there. You just want to say what the, what you said right there again. Oh, what, my senior year, he started to email me. My dad and, did. Yeah. Like that's kind of when email started. Yeah. Okay. And he would email me these letters about how terrible and a sinful person I was and I'm going to hell and he would use scripture. So I knew like, okay, this is in the Bible. I've never really read the Bible, but why would this be in the Bible if it wasn't true? And I started to think about what he was saying and it scared me, but I would also be kind of repulsed by it because I'm like, you're telling me that I'm going to hell, but I don't even really know what the Bible says besides that in your God. And well, and I, you think you're a good oh. person. You were convinced that you were a good person. But, but it's also interesting that you believed, you were like, what the Bible says is true. But I didn't know the Bible. I believed but, that there yeah. was a God. Yeah. And I believed that the Bible said that. Right. But I, yeah, there was something in my spirit that knew it was probably more true than anything else I'd read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so one day um, my mom called and she's just like, I'm really afraid that your brother is not like, we're never going to see him again. Cause he had went down in some Jeep somewhere. And I can't remember that how it all went down, but he was homeless for a very short period of time. Was it Kansas city? Yeah, it was Kansas yeah. city. And he we went were, to Kansas city. Yeah. We were just really, really worried. And, um, it, and he, he was okay. Like he came back, but he had sent, he said, okay, I'm going to, we talk on the phone and he's like, I'm going to send you a Bible. And I'm like, okay. And so I got this Bible and he's like, I want you to read revelation. And I remember where I was, I was in Fargo in this house where I was staying and I was in my room and I didn't know that revelation was the last book in the Bible. I didn't know it was about the end times. I didn't know it was about Jesus coming back. I didn't know Jesus was coming back again. Like, you know, I didn't know. I don't know if I knew when he left the first time or came the first time. So I read that and I was so glad that he told me to looking back. Now it wouldn't have worked for everyone, but I had such a pride issue that when I read that book, I was so scared for like two or three days that I didn't leave the house. Like I felt like if I walked outside that I would get the mark of the beast on me and then I would just be a goner. That's just so funny that my dad, I always thought this was funny that he, out of all the books in the Bible, he didn't tell you to read like Matthew or Mark or anything. No, he was like, read Revelation. Yeah. That's like, what the heck? Because he's like, (laughs) 
I know your spirit and we got to break it. No, I don't know. That's what I, yeah. you told me to read. And that that's probably why it's still my favorite book. But it did scare me the first time I read it because I didn't have it in the context of the lion and the lamb, you know, and the savior and how he died for our sins. I mean, I don't even know. I'm sure I had heard John three sixteen, for God to love the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I think I might've heard that, but I'm not sure at that time. So I continued to just seek the Lord during those days because I was afraid. Now, I I don't think I totally repented. I don't think that I asked Jesus, like totally surrendered to him. Um, But that was definitely like the, the week where, God started to peel off some layers and started to soften my hard heart. So that was a big turning point for me. Um, And then I did actually realize how empty I was inside because it was kind of like, okay, college is going to be over. What am I going to do? And how am I going to live my life? Because I really, really wanted to live a good life in which I had a marriage that was solid, that we did things together that, uh, you know, we, we were part, a partnership. That's what I wanted. Um, so I didn't always see that in my parents. And so that was it, like a deep, deep desire that I had wanted from a young age. And. Well, I think it's yes. good. I'm, I'm just going to say this just because I think this is important for people to understand the backstory. And I don't, I, and I got to say it or it's going to bother me, but uh, my grandpa and your dad was an alcoholic. And so that plays a part in how you probably viewed marriage. And my dad's going to probably talk, probably talk yeah, more about I'm sorry, that. I thought I said that when I said he wasn't home. Yes. He no, he, he, was, yeah, he was an alcoholic. So like, and that probably how you, how you looked at marriage and how you looked at men probably played a role in that. So for sure yeah, it did. Just so for I can sure it is because we there. look at our fathers, you know, yeah. and we look at our fathers a lot of the time of the way we would look at God if we don't know who God is, like if we think if our yeah. father is abusive, then something in, in us thinks if we don't know the word of God, that God may be abusive or God doesn't right. really love us or we have to perform for God yeah, or we have to be, you know, better. We have to be that quote unquote good person for God. Yeah. And that right. isn't how God operates. But thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So where was I in my story? So revelation so you wanted to find a husband that you could spend time with because you didn't see that in your parents' marriage and you guys could do things together. Yes. And you read Revelation. And I read Revelation. So that was like my heart's desire. Okay. And then yeah. I graduated. And then I uh, went to the cities for my internship. Okay. And I can't remember what happened before or after when he was uh, in Kansas, when Ty was in Kansas and homeless a little bit. But I do remember that time where I was really nervous about it. And I was searching for a church in Minneapolis and I didn't know where to go because I didn't have friends that were going to, I didn't think I wanted to go to a Catholic church. So I just wanted to go to like a Bible church and a non-denominational is kind of what I was looking for. And I ended up, um, in a parking lot in a a church parking lot, trying to find a doctor's appointment. And I was like really upset that I couldn't find this doctor's appointment. And I ended up in the parking lot like twice. And I'm like, okay, Lord, 
if that's what you're trying to tell me, like go to this church, you know? And so I did. So that Sunday, I thought I took it as a sign. I went to this church in Crystal, Minnesota, and uh, I, I really loved it. And I so I'd go by myself every week and I'd sit in the pews and there's like little skylights in there. And I remembered one day when I was just like, Sunday, I'm at the service. I'm really nervous for my brother and I'm just praying. And it's like a cloudy day, right? So there's no sun coming in these skylights and I'm just praying and I'm just praying for his protection. And however, at that time I knew how to pray. And all of a sudden I just had this like wash of peace over me and cause my eyes were closed. And then I opened my eyes cause I felt this warmth and there was like the sun coming down right on me. And it was just as beautiful. It was like, God was just enveloping me in his peace. And I looked around and there was no other sun coming in any of the other skylights. And I'm like, whoa, that was like, <laughs> like it was just like, God was like, I'm here. I hear you. I see you. That's what that was to me. And then it was the next day. I think it was in the next couple of days that my mom had called and just said, you know, that he's okay and he's home. And so there was a lot of those phone calls and those stories, like I'm worried, you know, and, I think that was the one where he was like, okay, he's finally home. And God just spoke to me through that simple prayer in church. And cause he knew the worries of my heart. Um, so I think it was just like all of those steps that he continued to just help me understand who he was. And then there was another story where, and I don't remember again, exactly when this was, but that Ty had told me that he was in a um, on a road called in outside of our hometown, outside of Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and he was with some buddies, and they were gonna, you know, go use some sort of drug or alcohol. And the road was called literally Lonely Road out that's of the country. A, I love that's like insane to me. Lonely yeah. road, yeah. But this is just the this is just how personal and like goddess and literal sometimes. But he he's out on Lonely Road and he um, was going to do something with his friends, and he realized that uh, you know he needed to stop because the Lord gave him a vision of a very black pit right in front of him. And he looked down into this pit and he knew if he went down this dark road again of addiction, because he was addicted. So he had the addiction, you know, like his father, that he was going down the dark road and he may not be coming back. It was very clear to him. So he had made that decision, uh, you know, not to do that. And he's still with us, thank God. But he's got a lot of stories like that. And then he just found a Bible in my parents' house, which I didn't even know they had a Bible. And he read the word of God. And so that's kind of how God worked in our family. He's like, hey, I'm relentlessly pursuing you, even though you weren't brought up to know me. Like, I want you to know me because I love you. And I desire that no one should perish. And it was just when you look back at all those little moments, and I also remember just going to the front door, waiting for my mom or dad to come home in the middle of the night, and I'd see this big, huge star. And I mean, I don't know if it was Venus or what it was, but in my mind, as a little girl, I'm like, that is a star of David. 
And honestly, I don't know how I learned about the Star of David. I'm like the Star of David. I don't know. It just gave me peace. Like, yeah. What is I don't? It's like crazy. Weird, yeah, like little weird things. Yeah, all of yeah. these crazy cool stories. Um, so then we're getting to my actual like we're surrendering to Jesus. Um, my brother ended up coming up to Minneapolis. He called me. He said. There's a Billy Graham crusade coming up in a couple weeks and I want to come up for it. And I'm going, Oh my goodness. Now he's going to take me to one of these preachers and he's going to like, you moved to Minneapolis. You're done with college. I was still still doing my internship. Yeah. So I was still in Minneapolis for my internship. Right. Yep. So I found that church. I was going on Sundays. I had not surrendered my life yet, but I was searching, listening, and then he calls, he's home, he's safe. He calls and says, I'm coming to the Billy Graham crusade. Will you go with me? And I said, absolutely. And not that I actually wanted to, but I wanted to please. And I was still people pleasing. Like I wanted to kind of please him. Like, yes, I'll go with you. I'm so glad you're okay. But that's not really for me because that was a little crazy. Like the preaching and the evangelism. And Yeah, he was down on State Street. It, it would have been weird. Yeah. And P.S., I didn't mention that. Like, I would have friends. I was in school in Fargo. He was in living in Madison, outside of Madison. Ty was. And my yeah. friends from college would call me on Friday or Saturday nights and say, your brother is preaching on the park bench. And we're afraid that, you know, he's going to get hurt. Because he was preaching Helen damnation. Yeah. And it was like, whoo, okay. It's, what about your friend where he, like, literally called her out? I think he called out my friend Betsy. Yeah, yeah, like, like specific. Like, hey, there you are. Oh man. Okay, on State Street while you're just trying to go to the bar and have a little fun. So it was yeah. intense. There was some intense times, but I believe that God used it all. And so he comes up for the Billy Graham Crusade, and we go. And this is so strange because he had brought. He just brought up to me like, "No, your your boyfriend went with us." I'm like, "Really?" Because I don't remember that my boyfriend at the time, his name was Ryan, that he had gone with us. And, and my daughter-in-law, Anna, was there on the stage as like a little candle and a little skit. So I realized, like, I found all this stuff out later, like all these like connections that happened, but I was just like in my own world then. But so I was probably 25, maybe, I don't know, 23, maybe 23. When that happened, 23, 24, and we went to the Billy Graham crusade and it was sold out because I know people now that were praying over those chairs for that. That was his last crusade in Minneapolis that they were like, I literally prayed over those seats. And I'm like, I just started crying. So I'm like, you could have prayed over my seat. I mean, you, I could have been the one you were praying for at that moment. So we went and, there, and he, they said it was sold out. Like you, there was like crowds outside and all this stuff and they were hearing it over the loudspeaker. I'm like, no way. Cause we got seats. And so Billy came out and he preached the gospel and he asked people to come up and receive Christ. And I listened to every second of it, but I watched these people go down. And I'm like, I, how do they even know what they're doing? You know, oh. how do they know what they're doing? How do they like, do they understand that they are giving their life to something that they may not fully understand. So in my brain, I wanted to understand what exactly I was signing up for. Yeah. Like, did this mean I can't party anymore? 
did this mean I can't swear anymore? Like I wanted specifics. Like mm-hmm. did this, I know God is gracious because my brother's still here. Like I was starting to understand that. Um, but it's like, does this mean I can't have fun anymore? Right. Does this mean mm-hmm. I can't make it all about me? Basically. If you put it in a nutshell, is this what this means? Yeah. And I was like, Nope, not ready. You know? <laughs> so I didn't go down, but I thought it was moving. Right. And I was like, this is like, I heard the, and maybe it was like the second or third time I truly heard the gospel message. So we left and he called me, my brother called me a couple of weeks later and he said, I was staying at my friend's house because so during this internship, I was with her parents in this really small house and it was like 11 at night and we had the cord phone, right? The old cord phones where you just pull that phone as far as you can so no one can hear you. So I, huh. he's asking me all these questions and about the crusade and, you know, and then he finally says really, really gently. So kind of in so many words, like, so what's the hang up? Why can't you say yes, you know, to Jesus? And he said, you don't need to know everything to say yes to him. And that's what really helped me release all those fears and like all the things that I might have to do. Just that simple sentence, like you don't need to know everything. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do then? Like, how do we do this? And he's like, you just, if you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. And if you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, he rose from the dead. You will be saved. I mean, he, I think he paraphrased Romans 10, nine and, and we prayed, he goes, I'll just pray with you. And it was a very simple prayer. And it was basically Jesus. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I want you to be in charge. I want to surrender to you. I know there's something more, you know, I believe that you're my creator, savior, and, you know, and Andy, like, it's a roller coaster. You know, I don't think everyone's got the, like, that was the day that I said yes. And then yeah. I was totally saved. And then I had no more pride. And um, it wasn't for me. It was like, okay, that was my step of just taking that little leap of faith and asking him to come to come in and be Lord of my life. But I pulled back from him so many times after that. Like, he was there. And he was, he was ready to walk with me, but I wasn't quite ready to walk with him. I think it was interesting what you said a little bit, a little bit ago when you were like that you don't have to know everything before following Christ. Like that's kind of the point of like Christian, like the, of the gospel. Like you look at Jesus just like would go, went up to Matthew and he was like, follow me. And yeah. Matthew got up and followed him. It yeah. wasn't like, well, Jesus, you need to tell me all these things and what we're going to do and yeah. who we're going to talk to and where we're going to go. And right. It was just like, just follow me. And I, that a lot of, I think a decent amount of young people listen to this and that's kind of the hang up for a lot of people is like, well, why are you going to do something that you don't know? Why would you believe in something that you don't know? It's like, well, I think we do that all the time anyways, mm-hmm. but when God is involved, we just are so like we just hate it because he's involved. And so I, th- I think that's important that you said that is like, you didn't really know. And, and that was fine. Like that's totally fine. Yeah. Like you said, like he, 
he asked the disciples to just follow him. And a lot of them just quit what they, they did and walked away and just followed him because well, they could... Are you, well, I don't know what story you're about to read, but there's a story when he he told, I can't remember who he's like, he's like, follow me. And the guy's like, well, let me go back to my, to bury my father and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. go back to my family. And Jesus sure. like, nope, never mind. He's like, no, 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 never mind. And Jesus looks like a jerk. You're like, dude, he wants to go back and like bury his dad. Just give him a second. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, like Jesus is like, I'm not, he, I'm not, I'm here to, people need to have faith. Yeah. It's not about yes. going back and, and making sure everything's fine and trying to figure everything out. It's like, no, do it now or don't do it. Right. And it's like, that. that's that's really cool. But yeah, what, what are you going to read? You have a Bible. Well, that's what I was going to read was Hebrews 11. <laughs> and I was just going to say that is what we, that's what faith is. So faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities that you've never seen. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And we have a God who carries us, who walks before us, who holds our hand. His arm is not too short. He is an anchor to our souls. But if we, that's that we need faith to believe that. Mm-hmm. And the most exciting ride in the world is dropping everything and just saying yes to Jesus and watching right. what happens. And people think, and what I used to think is, it is going to be the most boring, most mundane, most, do I have to sit and sing hymns, you know, my whole life. Right. Like, like the few, you know, churches that I'd been to over Christmas or something like that, you know, like that's kind of what we think if we don't know our God, but in reality, stepping out in faith for me has been, like, wow, God, I cannot even believe that you were asking me to go in a prison and like talk to people. Like, what, what do I have to give? And he doesn't, he's not asking me to know everything still to this day. He's just asking me to be available and to have an open heart and be obedient. And then he does miracles right, right in front of my face all the time. But it was like the, the mm-hmm. story of like every like figure in the Bible is the same thing. Like, look at Jonah. He's like, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no. No way. And he's like, go to Nineveh. He's like, no, I'm not going to go. And it's like, why does Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because he already thinks he knows what's going to happen. And that's like what most people think in Christianity. That's, like, I'm not going to be a Christian because I already think I know what's going to happen. Well, you you don't because Nineveh, mm-hmm. he went to, when he went to Nineveh after being in a whale, he <laughs> like he told the people and they listened. And, and like, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. It's your pride that thinks you know what's going to happen. And I think... Like, that's like huge. I just think it's so big for young people to be like, I just got to kind of take a leap of faith here and just do it. And whatever happens, happens. And if you're a young person out there listening, that's exactly how I was. I was so full of pride. I couldn't, I, I, I really was. And my friends to this day, my college friends laughed. They're like, oh my goodness, you thought you knew everything and you could not I was kind of like you Andy and then I couldn't talk <laughs> them out of you know you couldn't talk us out of it like we would just yeah. quit the conversation because right. I knew everything yeah and so it's even harder for that person like I didn't know everything but I thought I did right it's even harder for that young person to surrender to Jesus and what I would say is your life is going to be it's not going to be easy or uncomplicated if you surrender your life to Jesus, but it's going to be 
so good and so fulfilling in a way that you never have experienced before. And it's wild. It's just totally wild. And it's a, and it's a total blast. But if you're living in a way that feels really empty right now and really worldly and really like following what everyone else is doing, that can only last for so long. Yeah. So, and here's the thing, the world is like totally crazy right now, right? And it kind of always, it has been, if you start reading in Genesis, the world's always been wild, you know, there's always been people doing crazy things, but we have this book. I mean, we have the Holy Bible and the word we can open any time to find truth. And so I would also say if someone's just thinking about what in the world should I do, uh, you know, it's just so simple to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Open up this book and he will speak to you and ask him to speak to you through the through the word. And that's what I think that sometimes we miss too. And for so many years, I didn't, like I knew he died for my sins, like John 3.16, but I didn't really understand the relationship. Like we're doing yeah. this together right. because I wasn't very good at relationships, yeah. right? Because of everything that I had gone through. Like, it's not just like God's tells God's like Reagan don't sin. And then you sin. And then God's like, you idiot. I told you not to sin. Like, that's how I viewed God for a long time too. Mm -hmm. It was just like, God would be like, don't do this. And I'd be like, I did it. And he'd be like, you idiot. Now you need to feel pain. And I, that's just what I thought is is performance. If you don't perform well, how could God love you? And it's like, that is like, that's like satanic thought. That's yeah. like that's like terrible thought. And it's like obviously you don't want to sin and you should hate sin, but like you shouldn't hate sin just so that God doesn't isn't mad at you. You should hate sin so you can have a better relationship with God. So you guys can right. so you guys can love each other. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and just because there's consequences. I mean, as believers, we take he has removed our sin as far as the East is from the West, but we need to be in relationship with him to be like, God, I'm just so sorry that I did that. I sin all the time still, but then when I repent, my relationship with him is deeper and it's better. And he's just like this loving father. Like, you know, I know you, you know, I know you really didn't want to do that, but you did because you're in the flesh and I, I've forgiven you, but guess what? There still are consequences on this earth, on this side of heaven. We all have them. And it's just like a loving, like I have a son now who's eight and uh, took us seven years to get him. And that was whole nother desperation on the Lord, which going through infertility, if I didn't know him as my God, it would have been a million times harder. But um, he brought us through that, that time. But it's just me now as a parent, even like looking at him and being like, wow, I am so sad that he did that and he disobeyed me. And there's going to be a, a consequence. But I tell him every night before bed, you can't do anything to make you make me love you any more or any less. That That's who God is. Right. He loves you no matter what, but you are going to have consequences for your decisions. Yeah. So that's just something that we like to speak about in our house. But, um, okay, so then. Yeah, go back. I committed my life to Christ over the phone in Minneapolis. And I think I was 23 or 24. To who was on the phone? Ty. Okay. So remember, he was like, 
It's just, yeah. just pray. And it was simple, you know, right. and that was after the two weeks after the Billy Graham crusade. Right. So, but like I said, it's a roller coaster. So then I proceed to got a job back in Fargo, go back to Fargo to work, got a great opportunity, then got to go to grad school at the same time, then decide, then my boyfriend at the time, that same guy, he was uh, living in Grand Forks and he got a good job and he wanted to build a house. So he's like, why don't you live with me and we'll build a house? So I did. So then here I am, right? Committed yeah. my life and decided, oh, it's a really good idea to live with my boyfriend. Okay. And keep in mind, he was at the Billy Graham crusade with me too, which is interesting. Was he a Christian or no? Um, I mean, only God knows the heart. I know he went to a Lutheran church, but we, it's, that wasn't, I mean, he asked of, you to live with them. So like, if, and it wasn't if part he was, of our relationship, it wasn't part yeah. of our faith. Okay. No. Um, yeah. So we lived together. <laughs> yep. And that lasted about, gosh, I don't know if it was nine months or a year, but I was got to a point where I was so convicted that, um, I just was like, and I, I would ask him cause I was like, okay, I really want faith to be part of our relationship. And so I was like seeking that and I was trying to like, are we going to get married? What's happening? And nothing happened. And there was a day, I think he was out of town and there was a snowstorm coming in and I was kind of losing it. I was like, I need to get out of here. It was up in Grand Forks. It was like kind of desolate. And I just need to know what I'm supposed to do. And so I started driving in a blizzard around town and I was just like weeping. And I saw this Lutheran church. And again, it's a parking lot thing with me. I don't know why I pulled into this parking lot and I walked into the front door of this Lutheran church. And I'm like, is there a pastor here? And they're like, yeah, he's right here. He probably wants to leave because there's a snowstorm coming. Yeah. <laughs> the sweet man spent like three hours with me. I just wept. I sat in his office and I cried and cried and I told him my life story and then what I was doing and I was living in sin and all, all this stuff. And he was just so sweet. And it's like, this was an ordained time that you came in and he just tried to speak truth over me and how much Jesus loves me. And um, so I went through that. And then he's like, because I'm like, I want to get baptized. I've never been baptized. He's like, okay, read these books and we'll meet a few more times and then we can get, you can get baptized. So I did. I got baptized in the Lutheran church. My boyfriend was there. Some of my friends from Fargo were there. And I thought that that was going to change. I did want to get baptized for the Lord, but I also thought that that would change our relationship, me and my boyfriend at the time. Because I thought, okay, if I get baptized, you know, he's Lutheran, quote unquote, yeah. then that will also help me feel better to not live in sin. Right. Right? Because then maybe we'll get married, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, no, nothing happened. So I finally got to this point where I'm like, I need to go. Um, this isn't working for me. But I did get, I did, got baptized in the Lutheran church, moved out, and... um moved back to Fargo and I was kind of lost for a while and still just trying to figure it out. And cause I was, I was heartbroken too, I think a little bit from that. And cause I wanted that to work. Um, and he was like a really, he was, you know, a really nice person, but that was just something I had to go through. And then I moved back to Fargo 
And God just really started working on me. Like I, I just, there were some really hard things I had to go through with friends. One of my friend's brothers committed suicide. There was just multiple situations where he's like, gosh, you're not going to get through this without me. So I think I just started reading my Bible more, started seeking him more. And again, it was still a roller coaster. Um, then I moved back to the cities to get a full-time job at that, at that clinic where I had my internship and I met my husband. Uh, now I met George through that, uh, clinic through another doctor there. And my husband had started, a uh, over the counter medical product. And so they asked me to step in and help them with that product. And I didn't have any experience. It just felt like being at the right place at the right time. Um, and I watched this man, I watched George being a single father. He was divorced. He had three teenage boys and he was so committed to being a father. And he, you know, would be like, Hey, do you want to go to church with me? He knew I was lost. Like, do you want me to, do you want to go to church that's on Sunday? And me and the boys are just me, you know, just as friends. And, and I say, sure. Cause I had nothing else to do. And I'd go to church with them and I was just in awe of how he related to his kids and how he parented them. And I would say to God, I'm like, this is who, this is the kind of person I want to marry. I really want to marry someone like this Lord. And um, not knowing that he was already setting all that up, that we were going to get married. But that's what I would pray for. And I liked his kids, um, but they were teenagers, you know. No one signs up for that. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, so God just brought us through that. And we were totally friends. It worked really hard together and, and had a lot of fun. And one day my mom calls and she says, uh, so how's it going? I just bought my first house because then I was I was in the world, you know, working hard, making lots of money. Again, my pride kind of creeped in with that, though. Like, you know, you can it, it, that, that's a whole nother. I don't know if we have time for all that, but I had two people to one person I was working with. Tell me I could make all this money and get all these things in the world. And the other one's like, you don't need all those things. You need Jesus. So that was hard for me. I was fighting that battle. But once that um, I got through that. I, I just was praying a lot and I was like, Lord, I want what you want for my life. And I remember laying on my bed and just being like, even if I never get married, Lord, I want to be a missionary for you. I want to be in ministry for you. Whatever it is, you tell me. And that night, the Lord gave me a vision of uh, this little boy sleeping on a dirt floor. And it looked like it was like in Africa. And I like, I woke up like startled, like, what was that about? I mean, I could smell where he lived, you know, and not knowing that I was going to get um, fired from my job. And around that same time, my mom had called and asked me like, how is it going? And, you know, I, are you dating? And I was like, no, nothing's working out. And these guys said that they want this. They said that they're Christians, that they're not. And she goes, well, maybe you needed to date someone older. And that was kind of like the first time in my head I thought of George. And I was like, really? And then not knowing I'm going to get fired from my job. And within a couple of weeks, and this actually goes back to High Point Church, because I was 
got fired from my job, devastated because that was like my whole world. And I went back to my parents' house and I went to High Point Church and they had just gotten uh, back from a mission trip. And I don't know if it was Central America or Guatemala, but they had pictures on the screen and my mom came to church, which was unusual, in Thai and everyone was there. Was, it, um, was was my mom and dad married or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, they were married. Okay. And we're all sitting there and my mom looks at me and she's like, you should go to Belize. And I'm like, I know because George, my, you know, at the time who we still like weren't dating, but he was going to Belize on a mission trip in like three weeks. And so I'm like, yeah, I should go to Belize. No, we were dating. We had just started dating. We, we had just started dating. So we were dating. And I'm like, there's no way I can get on this trip because they're leaving in three weeks. You know, they have all these meetings and we ended up, I ended up calling George and being like, do you think there's any way? And then he called the pastor and the pastor said, actually, someone just canceled. So we have an opening. Let me meet with her. So long story short, I went on this mission trip and that was um, the first time I think I was really operating in the way that God had created me to be because that little boy that I had the vision on the floor, his name was Rahim. And he was a little boy in an African village in Belize that had brittle bone disease. And he had over 500 fractures on his body. And so the Lord wanted me to go just be with him and minister to his mom and who was heartbroken. He, she had five kids, three had brittle bone and just really see like how Jesus works through a child. Like this kid was like eight when I met him and then, you know, in and out of pain all the time and just had the love of Jesus radiate out of him. There's a picture of him right, right behind me in, in your oh, yeah. basement. Yeah. yeah. But they can't you're, see that. But You're in my office, but that's yeah. Raheem. And so he just really taught me like, okay, I got out of like a lot of times when we get out of ourselves and get out of our environment even going like into nature, you know, we can feel closer to God. He just needed me to get out of the world. And what I thought was important, I got to this small African village and I got to just spend time with people and look in their eyes. And um, I would just look in Rahim's eyes and he would just tell me how much Jesus loved me. I mean, from the mouths of babes and Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And because they're just so incredibly special and amazing. And a lot of times I feel like they know him so much more than adults. Um, Was it like Jesus also said to have faith like children? Like a child. Yeah. 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 And that was Rahim. So that was, that was like my turning point. That was like, okay, God, this is what I'm created to do. I'm created to go where you want me to go, love on who you want me to love on. I would just like clean their house. You know, I would just help them with whatever they wanted. And we ended up being really good friends with that family through that trip. It kind of solidified if George and I were going to get married. There was a lot of prayer around it. It was a beautiful time. And um, Rahim, we'd call each other all the time. I probably went down there seven or eight times. And he finally, he finally said when he was like 13, I think he said, um, I want to live here. I want to be here. I just don't want to be here in this body anymore. And uh, so we knew he was going to uh, go up to the father and, and go to heaven soon. And I was actually at a restaurant in downtown Minneapolis when his mom called and she's like, will you get on the phone because he wants to go and he's waiting to talk to you. So ah, I can hardly say that without crying. But yeah, so we, his mom and I got to just pray over him and usher him into heaven, you know, and it was just 
beautiful. And, and that's the kind of things that like, when I say it's a wild ride and it doesn't mean it's going to be easier. You're not going to be like heart. The things that you get to experience are just so powerful and so real. And I just think of John 10, 10, you know, life to the full and that life to the full is all of the feelings. It's like all of the heart. It's all the good. It's all the joy. It's all the sorrow, but trusting that there's the God in heaven who is with you through it all, you know, and you're never alone. Yeah. Yep. Trying to hold it together here, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. I didn't know that part. You need some Kleenex, I think. Just kidding. Me? I I, I didn't know that part about uh, Rahim. Like, I knew that he existed. And I I remember you would talk about him and show us pictures. But I, I, like, didn't know just, like, how he was. Or, like, like Mm. really who he was. Like, it's just, like, a random kid that Reagan likes. Uh, So... That's so he passed away, right? Yeah. So he was thirteen. Yeah. So he was thirteen when that okay. happened. Yeah, and then it was just beautiful. And but that's when God just showed me kind of who I was. And you can handle this hard stuff. You can handle the special needs kids. You can handle the mom that's in a lot of pain. And um, it's not all about you. And that's when you learn, you know, giving. It is better to give than to receive. I mean, it's it is it's in the bible and it is and it's it's beautiful when you're being obedient to god to give and being and being available to what he wants but um so yeah george and i got married and i got married i will say really quick just as like proof or whatever i remember seeing like a video of rahim or something Mm -hmm. like that and i was like you know there's like his bones are messed up his body looks messed up and i was just like that would suck. You just like lay in a bed basically all day, right? And yeah, I, and he I remember, never sat up or, or walked. Yeah. But I remember like in the videos and like pictures, he was always happy and he was always smiling. And I was just like, like, I do remember that. I remember you showing us pictures and videos, and I was like, this kid's got like a crappy life. His his body is distorted. And he and and he's like happy. And in the videos he was talking about Jesus. And I was like, yep. man, like I have it really good. Yeah. Like he does, like I have it really good. I'm, I'm a kid here in America who gets to basically do whatever I want and run around and play sports. And I, yep. you know, don't have half the heart that he has. So I think that's really cool that you, that you talked about him. Cause I, I just, I completely forgot about Raheem. Like I saw this picture of him right here, right before we started recording. And I was like, oh, I remember, but like, yeah. that's, that's really cool. Cause I think, I think there's a lot that Christians can learn from little kids because yeah. we well, get so caught spoke up to you. Yeah. I mean, even your little video that you saw, he spoke to you and you had this moment that was right. like, wow. Right. It's all perspective. I mean, yeah, he was like so happy. He had water for the day and some right. rice and like someone came to visit him. That's all. And as wanted. adults, we get angry about all these other things that don't even matter. And it's like, uh, yeah, just like what you can learn from little kids about like, they they just think like, you know, whatever, like, yeah, having water, just like playing with their dad is, is a cool, fun thing. And as adults in the, in the church, we're so focused on, on like perfect doctrine, what songs are being played on Sunday, all these things, but we have no faith, especially in America, we have no faith in Jesus. And then you got a little kid in Belize whose body is screwed up, who's going to die at 13, 
who has more faith than probably 99% of Americans who believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And more love. Yeah. Right. I mean, love, the love that emanated out of him taught me how much Jesus loves me, really. I mean, that really was what Rahim showed me. Yeah. So the love, the perspective, the faith is, yeah, it's good for me to remember all that, too, because that seemed like a long time ago. And he used to call me his his second mom. So it was pretty sweet because I yeah. then we couldn't get pregnant for so long. Um so it was just a sweet time that we had together, even though um, I wasn't having my own kids. And he would pray, and you know, he prayed for Henry to get here. So it yeah. was, yeah, he's part of that whole story, which is really beautiful. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you got married. Yeah. So we got married, and uh, my three stepsons were, I mean, it was definitely hard the first year there, but they were amazing kids. And I learned obviously a ton uh, about co-parenting and parenting and um, how messy it all is and how awesome it all is. And I just felt like a baby going into that now looking back, but God matured me and um, he's brought the relationship I have with my stepson's into a pretty cool place. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that there's not struggles, but we have been able to grow together and love each other through it. And just watching George, their dad, you know, you never stop parenting, right? So watching him continue to parent and relentlessly love on them and call them and try to get into their heart and what's going on with them has really taught me a lot at the same time too. Um, yeah. So here we are. Yeah. 16 years later. Yeah. 16 and a half years. We've been married. We I have was Henry. in the wedding. You were in the wedding. I and was a you, ring bearer. The ring bearer and you had your teddy bear and then you fell in the mud and got all, everyone was mad. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of my life. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was mad. So... It's been awesome. And God has brought us through some crazy stuff. We've done a lot of mission work together. We've been to Haiti a couple of times. I was there by you, myself with it. Talk about, yeah. you were in Haiti during the earthquake. Yeah. So I was in Haiti during the 2010 earthquake. I was co-leading a team with our pastor from a church from Minneapolis. And um, the night before we were going to get ready to go and go to a normal hotel and take a shower and uh, go home the four o'clock in the afternoon, the earthquake happened, which was one of the worst earthquakes in the Western hemisphere ever. And especially hitting a third world country, it was between 200 and 300,000 people died. So, you know, and you remember a lot of people remember seeing it on CNN and the news and it was weeks and weeks of devastation. And, um, that's I remember where the rubber- my parents mm-hmm. texting you while you were there, they still have the phone. We had this old crappy phone mm. that they were texting you on. They had to pay 25 cents every text they sent. And they were texting. My dad was like, Reagan's could be dead. And, and totally. like Reagan and George, yeah. George was there yeah. too, right? You guys could have been. No, he guys. wasn't. No, he wasn't. I was just oh, there my goodness. with the team. So I was by myself. Yeah. Yeah. We were team. like, could have been dead. And so we still, I th- I'm pretty sure my parents still have the phone with those texts on them. And sure. it's just crazy. I remember thinking like. Because when it happened, we were like, you're there. And until you texted us back and it took you a while, 
we thought you were probably dead or like you or something. Right. So. so I'll just tell you that really quick. I was there and that's where the rubber meets the road. Like, do I believe who God says he is? Because I could be dead. I'm not ever. There's lots of people around me that are dead right behind these walls. We were in a compound of a special needs home that we supported. And there's about 25 special needs kids and like eight on our team. And it's like, okay, God, if, Really, like, what do I believe? Because you just want to, like, crawl in a ball and sit in the corner of a room and cry because you don't, you're paralyzed. You don't know what to do. You're in shock. You're exhausted. You're like, what just even happened? And then you literally hear weeping and gnashing of teeth all over because you're hearing people wailing because their loved ones are dead all around them, you know? And, um, So that was just a really intense time. And I just prayed to the Lord, could you please let um, George like, or someone know that we're alive, right? Because all over the news is like, all these people are dead. And um, I ran to the, it's like, don't everyone, we got all the kids out of the house, all the special needs kids within like, I don't know. It felt like 30 seconds. It was probably a minute. That was a miracle in itself because some of them couldn't walk and they were just really heavy and we got them all out. And then we all just like, we're trying to breathe. And I was like, Lord, I need to know people at home need to know we're alive. So I, against the wishes of my pastor, I ran into the house one more time to get my phone. And as I ran out, my phone started ringing and I picked it up and it wasn't like George. It was like a random number because you're in another country. And I picked it up and I said, hello. And, and it was my husband. And he said, are you okay? And I, all I said was everyone's alive. And then he said, okay, it looks like there's a tsunami coming. Cause on the news it says now there could be a tsunami. So he's just trying to prepare us. And then it was like a click. That's it. The phone turned off. Everyone else to this day that I've ever talked to during that time had no service for three days. The earthquake hit. Nobody had anything for three days. Oh, yeah. That's insane. So nobody knew who was alive, who was dead, unless they had friends there who somehow on Facebook or something could have emailed somehow. I don't even know. But thank the Lord. Like I had one friend that just said she heard about it and she just was laying on her kitchen floor sobbing and her husband walked in and her husband's like, what happened? And she's like, I think Reagan's dead. And so then they called the church and then the church had just heard that we were alive. And so it was a while. Yeah. Well, I remember like we, we prayed and like, I think a lot of people were praying for you guys. I think that's like, that might be the only reason you got out. Well, yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. So it was three days of really like, what do we do? What it's dangerous. We probably shouldn't be here, but we want to help everyone. I mean, it was chaos. It was chaos, chaos, chaos. And, uh, we just like would pray that night. I'll just, I'll just tell you like that night, um, our, the night it happened, it was four o'clock. It happened. We got all the special needs kids out, but our pastor from Haiti who lived in the home with his wife who ran the whole home, because in Haiti, special needs kids are looked at as a curse, like a voodoo curse. So the parents just drop them off at the gate where this home was. And there's that's a whole other podcast of stories. But 
they were gone at the church in the heart of Port-au-Prince in a church meeting. And the whole church, brand new church, literally fell on top of them. They were in the basement of the church. The entire church, we had just been there like the day before to look at this new church, had fell on top of them. And they all got out. 40 people got out of the basement of that church without a scratch unscathed and they went out and shared the gospel in Port-au-Prince. Everyone thought it was the end of the world and preached the gospel. And a lot of people were saved that night. We thought that they were dead because they didn't come home. They didn't come home for five hours. They came through our gate and we all just like sobbed because we thought that they were dead. And Madam Dio, who runs that house, Pastor Dio's wife, she said, I knew you were okay because I pray over this compound every day. And I pray the blood of Jesus and I pray for protection over all these kids and who's ever inside these gates will be fine. But if you go out there, I don't know what will happen to you. That's the first thing she said when she came home. So it was just like miracle after miracle after miracle. And I, people in our team started to have like panic attacks, anxiety attacks. I didn't sleep for two nights because the weeping was so loud and the smell of death. And it was just, you could feel the enemy just hovering over the city. And it was, it was, it was a hard time, but, um, Pastor Dio, when he got home, got home, he asked me to open up the Bible and I just opened it and it was Psalm 91. I was like, you've got to be kidding. And I read it to them. And he, I mean, it's like no pestilence will come near your tent. I mean, the Psalm, which we've all been reading lately because of what's happening in the world is just so profound after you've gone through something that traumatic. And so I read it out loud to our team and to Dio and he's just like, wow. Like verse 11 says, he will command his heavenly messengers to guard you, to keep you safe in every way they will hold up in their hands. So you up in their hands so that you will not crash or fall or even graze your foot on a stone. Um, And it just goes on and on. And he's like, well, that just puts a new meaning to Psalm 91. And then that just gave me more conviction and fervor to live for the Lord. Cause I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm still here. Our team started kind of melting down and I just was like, Lord, you've got to get us home because if you not a medical person or you don't speak Creole, we shouldn't, you know, they said you shouldn't be there. So get us home before we were even supposed to be home on Friday. And there's a lot in that story, but we got home on Friday. The earthquake was Tuesday. We got home Friday an hour before our original tickets were supposed to get us home. And that was impossible to in, in the flesh because there were no planes. There were no planes coming into Haiti. There was no airlines. The runway had a crack in it. And uh, yeah, the Air Force came down and brought a lot of people home. And it like literally was a miracle we got home by that time. That's crazy. I didn't know all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I could, that, that's a whole, whole other hour story. But yeah, that was, so that was part of my story that uh, God used in a powerful way. But, and I think he'll, he used that because, he had brought me to that point where he's like, okay, I'm going to show you my power in an even greater way. And now you're going to use this. And I've been able to tell that story many, many times um, in my life to be able to share with people who he is and, and what, what the Holy spirit can do when we're open to it, you know? And he's like, just trust me, just trust me. And there was a lot of really cool things that happened through that time. But when we got to the airport and the, um, 
the Air Force, the man in charge of everything going on at the airport, which was a total disaster. <laughs> but there's all these big C-17 jets, and we were the first one off this little this little caravan thing. And he's like yelling at us, you know, like, you're going to go in this plane, just take your backpack. We couldn't have any luggage, just our backpack. And he says, I'm the first in line for some reason. So I'm staring him face to face and my heart's like beating out of my chest. And I just want to get these people home. Some of them had never been on an earthquake, sorry, at a mission trip. And they're just like, need to get home. And he looks me in the eye. I said, sir, because I was afraid to talk to him. I'm like, sir, where are we going? Because there were rumors we were going to like Dominican Republic or another state or country or something. And he looks me straight in the eyes and he's like, ma'am, you're going home. And I just was like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm, cause I'm like, I don't know if we'll ever get home. Like, yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get home. I don't, I don't know if this whole country is like people were throwing bricks at each other, you know, like if we're going to even make it out of this compound. And, but when I look back at that, what he said to me, it was like such a metaphor for the end of our life. Like when we get, are we going to trust him the whole way? And when we get to the end of our life, are we going to, be able to look at Jesus and he's going to be able to say, you're going home and that's going to be our real home. Like that's where we're going to heaven for eternity forever. If we surrender to him and we just keep trusting him. So it's been a privilege to be able to do that. Um, But there are times where I've thought, wow, is this how it's going to end? (laughs) And I'm still here. Yeah. So praise God. Yeah. That's insane. I didn't have any idea about all that. That's nuts. We should probably talk more. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know any of that stuff. I I remember when it was happening and just, you know, my family was scared. I I know we were in the living room. Everybody was crowded or not in the living room. We were in this kitchen. Everybody was crowded around the phone waiting for you to text. Like, like, I don't know. Like you like sent a couple texts, but there's, there's barely any. You're just basically like, I'm okay. And, and we yeah. were just like, yeah. Yeah. like we didn't know. And then we prayed and it was just so stressful. Yeah. I, and I'm just like, I do crap. remember texting when we finally got to the embassy. Then my text started working. I was texting your dad. I remember yeah. That. Maybe that's, was, maybe that's what it he was. He was in shock. And he, I was yeah. like, we're going to be okay. Now we're at the embassy. I don't know how long we're going to be here. Cause that right. was after two days, but I think we're safe. We're just waiting to see when we can ever get on a plane. It could have been a week, you know, or two right. or whatever, but um, yeah, so that is, that, that is my story. And I just, from there came home and we decided to really focus on having this child and lot had two miscarriages, had Henry, um, after a long seven years and God has blessed that and in such a mighty way. Um, and then I went back to Haiti once to just get some kind of closure and see some people that, you know, I had to leave suddenly and not be able to say goodbye to. And um, God just really showed me some things through that trip that he wanted to continue to um, work on in me and revealed some things to me that now I see unfolding in the world so I can be able to help with some of that, I'm hoping in some way. Um, and I'm just referring to like human trafficking and, uh, some of the spiritual warfare that's going on right now. So he's really just got me focused on, um, 
battling in, you know, on my knees in the heavenlies for uh, some of this spiritual warfare stuff to be broken. And so people can live in freedom. And that's kind of my passion now is for um, people to live in freedom in Jesus Christ. I think a lot of us are saved, but we're not living in freedom, the freedom that he's desired for us. And I see that in, in prison. I see women or like Rahim, I mean, you know, he's like stuck in this little body, but he's got this love and this freedom that we don't even understand. I see women in prison who are behind bars, but they have, you know, they have the freedom in Jesus Christ. They get baptized in full immersion. We baptize them once a year and they literally come out looking like different people, like a new creation because they get it and they understand their sin and they want to turn from it. And so I get to witness these things that are just so beautiful every day. Um, and I'm just passionate about it now because of what God's brought me through. I, yeah, I'm so like gives me goosebumps a little bit. Cause I'm thinking about like, um, and I think about, I think about this like quite often cause I, cause you, this is your testimony, but I, I'm thinking like, and my dad's and my mom's will have come up before yours. So we're recording mm-hmm. yours first, but my sure. mom and dad's testimonies will have come up before yours. And so it's absolutely insane to me that like, you know, my, if my dad never became a believer, right? things like wouldn't, like if God didn't give that vision to my dad, everything that you just said just doesn't happen. Like Rahim doesn't, you don't get to meet Rahim and then you don't go to Haiti. And then the people that know the gospel from you in Haiti, they don't get to learn who Jesus is. They die and they go to hell. You like you you don't do the prison ministry, and of course it worked. Like the prison ministry probably would have happened anyways, but but the people that you've affected through prison ministries, and it's like, and then like I wouldn't know who Jesus is, and then you know like like who knows the possibilities, and it's like, I it's just like every time I think about it, I'm like, holy crap! Like this is not something that a man could have built. It is only something that God could have built. There's the only yeah. only only way on the freaking planet that that could have happened. And so I'm like. That's just nuts because my dad is a screwed up, as people have already listened to, he was a screwed up idiot. And it's like, it's not because my dad was great that this all happened. It's because God is great. And I, God I'm is just great. like. That's right. That's right. And like, we love, we love your dad, but well, we, it's just, we all, we are all screwed up. And that's the beauty yeah. of what you're saying. Yeah. And it's the testimony is, is like, you think that like. Christianity, like not everybody's got to be a Billy Graham or a John Piper. You just got to be who God made you to be. And you're going to affect people's lives. Like the kingdom will move forward just because you have Christ in you. And, and probably at much, at a much greater impact than even Jesus himself. He says that, that my disciples will do, will do more than I've done. And it's it's like, that's, it just it just blows me away. I don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah. And that's the verse I'm believing right now, because I believe that God really wants to reveal himself through his people right now in a way that he never has before. And if we are only like you said, I mean, your brother was just willing. He was just like, I'm totally messed up, Lord. My but dad. maybe you could. I mean, your dad, your brother. I said, well, you, okay. Everyone listening, you need to understand that Andy looks just like his dad at that point. And that's why I keep saying that when yeah. I look at you. <laughs> it's hard sometimes. Okay. I feel like I'm talking to, okay. But it, 
it's just one willing participant. Like he, it, even recently, the Lord has just told me, he's like, it doesn't take that many people. Like he just wants his people, his remnant to just say, yes, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to go where you want me to go, say what you want me to say, even if it's inconvenient. And then he does miracles. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's profound and amazing. And it is hard to pack everything that he's done into like one testimony because, you know, it just, it's like the onion keeps getting peeled off as you start to talk. It's like right. the miracles just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps getting yeah. deeper and deeper. Yeah. So he's, he's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, this is what I wanted for this. This is like for people to be encouraged that like, even if you think your life is insignificant, while it is insignificant, it also is very significant when Christ is the center of it. And I, and it's sure. like people don't, I don't think people in America, they like just don't get to hear that. They like just don't get to hear what Jesus mm -hmm. is actually doing right now in random individual people's lives right. and what he's yeah. done in their lives. And so a lot of people lose hope and they're like, man, Jesus isn't working. Jesus isn't moving. It's like, that's just stupid. Like he, he is. And so I, I'm glad. I mean, do you have anything else you wanted to say? Well, all I want to say is if there's people out there that don't think they're significant, that's a lie from the pit of hell and you matter because you are, God created you and nobody is a mistake. Nobody is a mistake. And he right. desires that no one should perish. And so if you're at a crossroads of like, I just don't know enough. I don't know who this God is. You know, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God from the beginning. And Jesus, he had you in mind the, from the beginning. And Jesus had in mind to save you from the beginning. And he loves you. And there's nothing that you can or can't do for him to love you anymore or any less. He just loves you. And so it's not based on works. It's based on who he is. And and he's got a good plan for each one of us. And, and he really, really does. And it's not just good. It is incredibly insane and awesome and wild. And you might find yourself in a C-17 one day, like, you know, just flying home at 280 miles per hour. And you're just like, how did I get here? You know? And, but I will say if you do surrender him to him, to Jesus, your life is going to be so full and it's going to be so full of life and it's going to be so full of him and there's no better way to live on this earth and we only get one chance yeah we only get one chance and so yeah. every moment counts every thought counts so he helps us be transformed by the renewing of our mind and we can only do some of those miracles with him we can't do them on our own yeah so praise god yeah um that's basically the end. I'm just going to say one more thing. Is I thought the coolest part of the whole thing was when you were like looking at the guy in his eyes and and you're like, where are we going? And he was like, we're going home. And and then he was like, that's like, I just, I, in my head, I'm thinking about like what was going on behind you. There's like behind you, the world is falling apart and things are going to, to, to crap. It's, it's just absolute chaos. And it's like, Th that's the world and you got to go through it and there's going to be some crap. There's going to be some good, but then when you get there and you're like, okay, okay, Jesus, where are we going now? 
and he and he brings you home and i was like that's that's like the that's the point that's like the point and i just like that's so good so i i really like that part um but it's an hour and a half we were hit an hour yeah. and a half uh, which is fine that's i don't care but uh that's all i mean that's all we got for today thank you for doing this reagan it was very yeah, fun thank you for having me it was a blast and i'll be praying for you and everyone listening good um we'll probably have you on for different stuff later in life but we'll see what happens um like subscribe follow whatever share this do whatever you want with this podcast i don't care but we will see you guys next time um thanks for listening see you guys later